really excited to kind of lead us into the next portion of Scripture as we walk through the Gospel of Luke together. The text that we're going to dive into, most Christians would agree this is the greatest sermon ever given that we're going to dive into. I mean, easily, I mean, we're going to look at the Beatitudes. That is Latin. It's just from the Latin word for blessing. Probably the most famous portion of the most famous sermon ever given that we're going to unpack. I mean, this is, as Jesus called his apostles last week, as we covered that, he is launching into his great ethic, what he wants his disciples and apostles to be. This is probably the greatest sermon ever given. There's a sign that just kind of thinks it'd be funny and hopes that somebody only walked in on the end of that and didn't hear any of the context and just heard me say, this is the greatest sermon ever given. Are you not entertained? No, so I'm not saying this is the greatest sermon. I'm saying the one we're covering, the Jesus ones, the great one. Mine will be mediocre at best. We're talking about the good one, all right? So you get the point. We just need to read it, okay? So we're going to look at Jesus' sermon in Luke 6. I will read as you follow along. And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Again, famous portion of scripture that we're diving into. Part of my fear is, You've maybe heard these kind of pithy beatitudes on some way, you know, somewhere along your journey that we no longer really wrestle with what that is saying. I mean, I want you, this is intense. And part of that, you know, I want you to notice, he said he lifted up his eyes to to the disciples. So he just called the apostles. He kind of had the apostles, the disciples, essentially those who would call themselves Christians. But there's also crowds coming to see Jesus at this point. And so the crowds are coming, and it says some of them were just looking for healing. And so if you're not yet a Christian, and you're just kind of coming, maybe you want to get some prayers answered, you're in a bad way, and you're here to, uh, just to hear a sermon, that's wonderful. But understand the context. He is addressing this to disciples. And I think that is important because I have a pet peeve. I have many pet peeves. We'll only talk about a few this morning. But one of my pet peeves is people that just want to kind of throw away Jesus, who he is, throw away most of his teachings of heaven and hell. I'm not into that thing, you know. I'm not really into the dying for our sins thing, that he's really God in the flesh. I'm not into that. But I love his teachings. I love his ethic. That's ridiculous. I mean, people that say that, I don't think have ever really read Jesus's ethic here. Because this is crazy. If you're not a believer, if heaven and hell aren't true, this is ridiculous. 
You should never live this way if heaven and hell are not real, if Jesus isn't really who he said he is. I mean, the Bible tells you if that stuff isn't true, if all of it isn't true, we're most of all to be pitied to live this way. I mean, it's ridiculous. Think about what Jesus said. Again, trying to take, you know, fresh eyes at this, not just, oh yeah, the Beatitudes. Jesus came down off the mountain like Moses, kind of giving the law to Israel. Jesus coming down off the mountain, giving his new law to his church and says, hey, everybody, all right, I got to kind of start a new church here and we're going to, you know, it's going to be positive if you're poor, hungry, hated, and hurting. Who's it? Is that not what he just said? I mean, that's crazy. And it's just ridiculous to say, oh, I like his teachings. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. So much of living this way is predicated off our future return. Of it, you know, great is your reward in heaven. I mean, that's the same thing as saying, like, it doesn't matter where you invest your money as long as you invest it somewhere. No, it matters. Like, for those who invested in Bernie Madoff, for those who invest in a bad stock would tell you different. Like, it matters. It's not just, oh, I like this, because that doesn't hold up when you really look at what Jesus said. Because if, if you don't believe all of it, living the way Jesus says is ridiculous, and if you're a Christian, it is radical. In some ways, I hope many of us leave here rattled. This was a gut check for me when we look at what he really said. This is radical. I think about you wonder how the apostles felt. He said the last thing that happened, Jesus called his apostles, like the tw- there's all the disciples, and these are his 12. They had to be feeling a little bit good, right? You know, you just got called out by Jesus, the son of God, to be in one of his crew. I'm sure for this sermon, they probably sat up front, like, excuse me, I'm an apostle, I'm gonna need that seat. I don't know if you heard. I'm one of the 12, whatever. And so they sit down, and then Jesus says, okay, you're my apostles, Here we go. My people are blessed if they're poor, if they're hungry, if they're hurting and hated. I'm sure some are like, ooh, what did I get into? I'm sure some of them, and I imagine Peter was probably the guy almost wanted to pipe up, you know, probably wanted to help Jesus. Like, Jesus, let me jump in here. I know it's my first day as an apostle, but I think you got your lists wrong. Because it seems like you said it's positive to be poor and hated, and negative to be rich, comfortable, and popular. Like, sorry to correct you on my first day. I think you got your list wrong. I mean, if we just put two lists up here, let's just be honest of blessings and woes, and you had to put poor and rich in one category or the other, which way are we all going? This is radical, I mean, who, when you see somebody poor, you know, you stop up, you see people asking for change at the light. Who goes, oh, look at that guy. So blessed. That guy right there, he's blessed. Like, you don't know, everybody knows, can I laugh at that? I don't know, that seems weird. Because <laughs> it's crazy. It is that crazy. What he is laying out here is radical. And I think it should rattle us. I think Jesus meant it to. It even gets more radical, I think, when we dive into what this word means. Blessed. You notice when you read it, it says blessed, but when you read the Beatitudes, you always say blessed. I don't know why. It just happens every time. Read that. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed. 
Blessed are, it's the same word. I don't know why I say it different when you read, but we all do it. Don't get mad at me. Here's my beef. I got another pet peeve, another pet peeve. Here's my beef with this word. This is so divorced from our real life. It's just like this Christian word that we use. I was talking to somebody two weeks ago out in the atrium and they said, like blessed, it's kind of like the Christian equivalent of a cuss word. Like think of like the main cuss word. You all know what I'm talking about. There's like no real meaning. It could be a verb, it could be a noun. You could use it when you're mad, when you're sad. If you're happy, it's positive, it's negative. That's how I feel about blessed. Like, what does it actually mean? Oh, bless her heart. Oh, God bless, bless him. You know, oh, he's so blessed. I've been blessed, you blessed, you know, bless him. Like, I, but what does that mean? But we use it all the time. But it has nothing to do with our real life. It's just a nice churchy word. I studied I mean, I don't know how many Greek lexicons of, you know, what this word means. I read a book. I read two chapters of a book this week just on this word. And there is one word that's probably the best equivalent that came up in almost every single definition. You know what that word means? Happy. Happy. And not just happy-go-lucky, of course, but it means like a joy in the Lord. And that makes it almost even more radical. Do you really believe that? If you're a follower, do you really believe that? And wrestle with that. I mean, that's intense. Like, what does that even mean? Like, if you read it that way, happy are those who weep. How does that work? My initial thought when I was like trying to think this way, like, you know, happy are those who weep. It's like, you remind me of a baby. You ever see a baby laugh cry? It's like the funniest, weirdest thing to watch a, bad, a baby laugh cry, you know? They don't know if they're, like, really happy or sad, and they're just like, <laughs> you're like, baby, what is your deal? You need some dino nuggets. Like, settle down. Like, are you, what, what is happening? Is that what, like, Jesus is telling us? Like, we should be laughing as we weep? You know, Jesus says, you know, happy are those who are hungry. All my research indicates hangry are those that are hungry. Like, what does that mean? Ha- be happy. Be filled with joy when I'm hungry. How does that work? Let's see if we can get it a little uncomfortable in here. Happy are those who are poor. Good old America and our wealth. I did another word study on poor. Do you know what the word poor means? poor. That's what the word means. And Jesus says, blessed are poor people. Blessed are those who are in poverty. And I know what you want to do. Let me stop you. We just want to over-spiritualize it right away. Because most of you are probably more familiar with Matthew's Beatitudes, and we're way more comfortable with that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a little easier to agree to, right? Like, I'm rich, but I'm poor in spirit. I'm so humble. But it doesn't say that. It says, blessed are you, have joy if you are poor. Let me stop you one more time. Don't just run and over-spiritualize it so we can just continue to pursue our wealth. And, oh, it just means poor in spirit. He says poor, so let's deal with that before we run to over-spiritualizing it. And let me try to include all of us as well. Because, again, we live in America. Because so many of us are lucky I'm not poor. Like, yeah, lucky I'm not rich. So this is for rich people. Like, you know who you are. Some of you are rich. That's all right. But let's think globally for a second. 
You don't hear this language much anymore, the, you know, the 1%, the powerful 1%. I just read a survey recently this week. Do you know how much you need to make to be in the one percentile, richer than 99% of the world? $35,000. So before I go, look, I'm not one of those rich guys. Like globally, if you make over $35,000 a year, you're a one percenter. Let's just embrace that together. Let's say it together. I'm a one percenter. Let's just all say that. I'm a one percenter. All the college students are like, thank goodness I'm broke. Yes. That's just the reality. So I want to put us all on the hook. What do we do with this? This is radical. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, I think we should because I think Jesus is really pushing us. What do we do with that? This is crazy. I was talking to somebody, trying to wrap my head around this. And last week I went to Akron altar call and talking to somebody, they were pursuing a job. And I knew they were kind of like down the road with an organization. I asked them, you know, oh, how'd that go? You know, are you locked in with them? They said, yeah, no, it fell through. Well, what happened? You know, why did it fall through? Like, why didn't it work? And here's their answer, why they're not taking the job. Well, we were gonna make too much money. What, what? You didn't take a job because you were gonna make too much money. When's the last time you turned down a job because it was gonna pay you too much? When was the last time you took a job? Because it was more money. Ain't nobody gonna raise their hand. You chickens. <laughs> That's everybody. But what do we do to wrap our heads around this? And I hope it doesn't mean that just because you make more than $35,000, you're not a disciple of Christ. But we gotta dive in and wrestle with this. And this situation began to make sense for me. I got another friend I love me some Jack Butcher. If you know Jack Butcher, you love him too. I'm in a meeting with Jack, and we're about to pray. Jack has, you know, battled alcoholism his whole life. And before we pray, Jack says, I feel bad for people that aren't alcoholics. Why? What? If we were to have a list of blessings and woes, And I told you alcoholism, addiction, put it on a list. What list are we all putting it on? That's a whoa, man. That's a curse. Jack says it's a blessing. How in the world could that be? Because Jack knows because of his addiction, he is helpless. And every day he has no choice. So for he's like, man, everybody else that has it all together, you can walk with God or you can lean on your own strength. But me, I don't have that choice every day. I have to get up, hit my knees and walk with God and depend on him. And that's a blessing. That's a gift that I have to walk with God, that I can't fake it and pretend That's a gift, and that is some of what Jesus is saying. Look, most important, more important than all the stupid things we chase in this world is to have a relationship with me. And if these things help you have a relationship with me, it's a blessing. And if all these things that the world is chasing after keep you from me, then that's a curse, and I don't care what the world says. So what Jesus is doing is laying out for his disciples, look, here's what a disciple is. Radically values and lives for the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of this world. 
anything that helps you live for God's kingdom and not get distracted by the kingdom of this world, that is a blessing. That is a joy. That's a gift. Now, if you're a disciple and that's what I'm living for, I'm living for God, not for this world, then I have an immunity to all these things. To be poor, to be hungry, I can handle that because that's not what I'm living for. For all of us, you know, it's, we look at rich wealth and all those and it's a blessing by the world. Wealth is not a signifier of your faith. It's oftentimes a barrier to your faith. That's what he's saying. You're rich, but don't, that's a curse because you're gonna find your comfort in this world and not live for the next. It's a barrier that you have to overcome. I mean, what if you did that? How radical would that be? You go and you're, you know, you go into your boss's office and you come out all depressed and everybody's like, man, what happened? You get fired? Like, no, nah, man, I got a raise. Dang. What are you talking about? Well, that just comes so much temptation and now it makes me want to live more and more comfortable. Jesus, Jesus could have just said this, but I love that he put some teeth to it. Because all people that want to call themselves Christian, if I were to ask you, you live for the kingdom of God or kingdom of this world, oh, kingdom of God, that's me. That's what I live for. But he makes it real. So you're telling me you don't live for money? You don't base all, most of your decisions off of what's going to make you more money? The most of the stuff you think about, it's not how comfortable you can make your life, the next purchase to make your life comfortable said, woe to you when people speak well of you. You're not looking to have great status in this world, to have a great reputation and be looked at, you know, as a positive person to have everybody speak well of you. Jesus is saying, that's the values of this world. See, my disciples still have happiness, still have joy, even when they don't have any of those things. That is radical. When's the last time you lost a job and said, man, I'm just so blessed. I got so much joy in the Lord. I think this really helps. Here's a quote. In the life of God's people will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. They will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. Values which are taken for granted by other men are questioned by them and are considered in the searching light of spiritual truth, hidden reality, and a future life. As a disciple, you're suspect of what the world values. When you have everybody speaking well of you, when stuff is just rolling in in wealth. I mean, we watch how many times when we use the word blessing, it means wealth. God has really blessed my business. What's that mean? You're raking it in. We've been really blessed. That means you're raking it in. We should probably stop saying that. Because on face value, Jesus says the exact opposite thing. Now, I think what is helpful to see here, he's not saying just because you're poor, you're a disciple, and just because you have wealth, you're not a disciple. You know, he's just saying you have joy. You know, a believer still can have joy in poverty, and you could be a disciple and have wealth, but you're not living for that. But you got to really check your heart because it's easy enough to say that. But when do you find out? When you fall into poverty, when you lose those things. And I think this is where Matthew and Luke do line up. You know, blessed are the poor. Why? 
Because when we're in poverty is normally what leads us to be poor in spirit and humble ourselves before God. So it does matter and it does connect. You need to humble yourself before God. And if you're just, you know, raking it in, if you're just living it up, it's hard to humble yourself and talk about how much you desperately need God. And so you can still be a believer and have wealth, but it's a danger not to live for that and to live for your comforts here. So as you look at a disciple, do you just come to church but Jesus is saying, look, my disciples, they don't just go to church. They're living for the kingdom of God. They're not pursuing money, comfort, status, all the thing the world's chasing. They're living for eternity. They're living for heaven. That's what they base their decisions off of. Is that you? Can we make it more complex than it needs to be? You know, a lot of times I'll get this, I don't know what God's will is. And I say that, you know, living for the kingdom of God, that sounds mysterious. That side of the kingdom of God, I kept thinking of Wakanda. You seen Black Panther? So good, right? It's good. You know, like, if you've seen Black Panther, Wakanda is like the city that not everybody sees, and it's like this society in their midst, and it's like this deeper, richer society. That's kind of, I feel like, the kingdom of God is. It's like Wakanda. So, but as we think that, it just feels mysterious, you know? I don't know, is this a kingdom decision or not? Let me help you make this a lot simpler and easier. There's a little test you can do to help yourself decide, okay, am I a disciple living for the kingdom of God or this world? The only it takes one thing, it just takes a little bit of honesty and courage. You're thinking about taking a job. You're thinking about marrying this person. You're thinking about moving. You're th- whatever you know, you're faced with right now, answer this question. Why are you making that decision? And follow it up with a simple question. Is that a reason that Jesus would probably use? Probably about 90% of the time, you're going to get it right. If you're being honest to help you understand, am I being a disciple? And so ask yourself, should I take this job? Why do you want to take it? Well, it is way more money. No, I'm never going to be home. I'm never going to see whatever, but it's a lot of money. Why do you want to take that job? Well, it actually helps me to love people more and reach out to people, and I could really serve people much more in that role. Which one sounds like Jesus? You know, I don't think it's as complex as it needs to be. I don't know that I should, you know, I talked to uh, you know, somebody in college. I don't know if I should marry this person. Why do you want to marry him? If, like, all of your reason is like, dang, man, but look at her. She's so hot. Well, you know, just let's be honest and then decide... You know, can you see Jesus saying like, dang, that girl is smoking hot, you know? Ah, maybe that's not a good kingdom reason you're walking in. But here's the deal. I want to help you with this because it is difficult, but I think it is possible. What does that look like? I want to read you a portion of a letter that I received just two weeks ago. Somebody giving me an update on their life. Pay attention to the tone of the letter. We recognize the amazing work God has done these past few months. He is growing us and stretching us beyond what I ever thought we could. We're trusting God. I've been amazed at who God has brought into our lives to come alongside us. We're praying for them. They're praying for us. God is amazing. He is doing, it is unexpected in what he does. I just can't get over it. Thank you. We are grateful, exclamation point, 
exclamation point. I cut out parts of the letter. The parts of the letter I cut out, this is a letter updating their possibly terminal cancer. This is a letter from a disciple who might be dying in the midst of cancer. How many times did they say amazed? It's like four times they talk about how amazing God is. This is what it looks like. It is possible that even in the midst, and here's what I love. We can be affected by this world. You just don't have to live for it. That's where I'm glad he says, you know, blessed are you, joyful are you who weep now. The person who wrote this letter, I promise you, has wept and wept. You can be affected by this world, affected by whatever poverty you're facing, but not live for it, to have a deeper anchor and a joy in the Lord. Because you know what? I'm not living for this world. So even if I'm poor, even if I'm hungry, I don't in the end care for that because that's not what I'm living for. But if you do and can't find any joy in the Lord because your comfort, your riches are affected, Jesus is saying that's not what a disciple is. So I want to help you. I feel like this is heavy. This was a huge gut check for me. Am I just living for status, comfort, and wealth? Because Jesus is saying that's not a disciple of mine. So I don't want to just rail on us and beat ourselves up. I want to help us and end with how do we do that? How do we have joy in poverty? And to understand this, I think a, a helpful principle is the already but not yet kind of biblical principle to understand God. Already but not yet. Say that with me. Already but not yet. I'm going to split the room in half. You guys are the alreadies. You guys are the not yet. All right? Already, not yet. Already. Oh, you went too early. I got you. I got you. Already but not yet. And here's where people can get messed up. There's two errors that people can fall into. Some people, when they think they're a Christian, that God is going to heal them, make them rich, make all their pain go away. If you are looking for fulfillment, complete fulfillment in this life, you will be disappointed. God never promised to right every wrong in this life. That's going to come in heaven. That's going to come after Jesus returns. So do not expect that all your pains, all your trials go away. That is not yet, that has not yet happened. But don't go too far. Some people just pray a prayer and then I'll see Jesus when I get in heaven. God is already moving. And you see this already but not yet in this passage. Blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom. God's kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus is happening now. God is moving now, but then talk about you shall be satisfied. You shall laugh. There's a future fulfillment And he ends with, great is your reward in heaven. You see both of these. And you need to wrap your head around this kind of already. God, whatever you're in the midst of, will comfort you now in very real ways. His kingdom is moving, but not yet fully. God will comfort you and wipe away your tears, but one day he will take away the cause of every tear. But that has not yet happened. So as we wrap our heads around this, how do we do this and live out this ethic of joy and poverty? Wrap our heads around that. Look for ways God is already moving. 
It's okay, but you lost your job. You know, you got sick. You got a diagnosis. Just like this person who got cancer, I asked them the same question I'll ask you now. But have you still seen God moving in your life in some ways? Every single time I ask that question, a disciple can tell me, yeah, it's crazy, I lost my job, this, but man, I see God moving. You need to look, instead of just your bad circumstances, look at ways where God's kingdom is moving because that's what I promise you. One day, tears will be no more, but right now, God will comfort you in your tears and use your life for his kingdom. And if you know your temporary pain is causing somebody else eternal joy as you see the kingdom moving, I don't know about you, but I can have joy in that. If my temporary sickness leads to somebody's eternal joy, can I be happy about that? So look for ways where God is moving in your life now, but trust it has not yet but will fully come the kingdom of God in your life. Understand your ultimate fulfillment isn't now, it's in heaven. And that, we need to look forward. That needs to inspire us. Nobody wants to be poor and hungry, but I can sacrifice that if I can have a greater reward later. When's the last time? Let me ask you that. Where in the midst of your sacrifice, you thought of your reward in heaven. That should inspire you knowing that one day God will reward you. This makes me think, one of the greatest joys of my life. One of the greatest joys of my life is going on a mission trip. I love it because I get to fully focus on God's kingdom for a week. Like all these woes and all these distractions kind of go away. You know, woe to you are rich. I don't go with any money. You know, woe to you are full now. I'm in a weird country eating weird food. I'm hungry the whole time, you know? And so I'm just going and all these distractions, I'm not thinking about, and I'm just thinking about how can these people hear about Jesus. I mean, I just focus on his kingdom. I go to people that have never heard about Jesus and tell them, look, God sent his son so that you could come and know him so that you could have hope and forgiveness. I love it. It's one of the few things I enjoy more than going to people that have never heard about Jesus and telling them about him. You know, the other thing I like equally as much is going on a mission trip, coming home. I love coming home because I know what's waiting for me at the airport. I mean, I know, it's been our tradition every time I leave for a mission trip, that my family at the end of that tunnel in Cleveland Airport is going to be waiting for me there. And that inspires me to push through all those things because I know what's waiting for me. No matter how hard it is, no matter how bad it is, I know that I'm going to, in just a few short moments, get to embrace my daughter, to see their smiles, to wrap my arms around my wife, to experience the joy of being home. I love it. It's usually pretty predictable, but they're not the same. You know, my kids are in different phases. I love, I'll turn the corner A lot of times Gwen will have like a balloon or a sign and she'll just run and has this massive smile yelling, Papa, Papa. And I throw her up and I pick her up and wrap my arms around her because I am home and experience that joy of being back home. Isaac's a little more intense and doesn't know how to like handle his emotions. He usually hits me with like a, a circle jump type move. 
Like, when I come home every day from work, I'm a yeller, I'm excitable. And so, like, he's picked it up. He just starts yelling when he sees me. And he's just like, Aah! you know, and he just starts yelling. Most of the time, he, like, chucks whatever's in his hand, and he's like, woo! And I get all lit. I'm like, woo! You know? Because he's fired up, I'm fired up. Because I finally, after being away, I get to see my boy, and I get to see that smile, and I'm home. Do you get, as a disciple, this isn't your home. To live for this place, you're missing it. Do you know, I don't care how dark your tunnel is right now. You may feel like life is a pitch black tunnel. There's two things I could promise you. You can't see Jesus right now, but I promise you he's with you in that tunnel. Hey, I'm right here. Let me comfort you. Let me help you keep going. Look for ways God is moving in your life now. But know that day's coming. I don't care how dark your tunnel feels right now. Because at the end of that tunnel, Jesus is waiting, saying, wait till you come home. And I don't care if you fall out of that tunnel. I promise you, he will catch you and embrace you. Do you understand that day's coming? That day will be far greater than any day you've ever experienced. Why live for this day? Why allow this home, this temporary affliction, to rob your joy? If you're a child of God, do you know that day's coming? And the already but not yet, as I sit, when I go on a mission trip and I'll sit in maybe a coffee shop, this is what our relationship with God is like. It's like FaceTime right now. You know, I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll get to FaceTime back with my family and that's wonderful. And that's real and I get to connect with them. But one day I'm gonna be with them face to face. And do you know when I, do you know you're gonna experience that with Jesus? Do you know when I start experiencing joy? It's not that moment I see them. It's on the plane ride home. If you think about it, that doesn't make any sense. Because on that plane ride, I'm as lonely as I've ever been. I'm as, I've been you know, away from my family as long as I've been. I'm hungry after eating that weird food all week. I'm in the worst possible circumstances, but I'm full of joy. Because I know what's waiting for me at the end of that tunnel. And so what does the scripture say? It doesn't say, you know, be grumpy now and wait for that day. It says, rejoice in that day. That's today. To be a believer, it's to be certain of that day, to live for that day, and to rejoice in this one. Are you a disciple? And if so, we should rejoice. And I want to give you that opportunity now. I want you to stand. Stand, seriously. It was literal. <laughs> It wasn't a spiritual metaphor. Stand up, we're going to sing. Because that is true. So let me lead us in prayer and lead us into a time of worship. Father, please help us to know that day's coming. God, we are so drawn in to the world. The worldly values, God, we're all so tempted by living for riches to live a comfortable life here. But God, I want us to be disciples. It is immune to the things of this world, regardless of what this world throws at us. We can have a joy in you, knowing you are with us now. But we will see you face to face at the end of that tunnel. 
In Jesus' name, amen.